Morning Church family, September 6th, 2020, and 40 sermons later, we're concluding, by God's grace, our series in 1 Corinthians. And uh, today's September 5th, 2020, almost exactly 2021, almost exactly to the day we're finishing up. And we lived in Corinth for a year. We've lived and seen Corinth through the eyes of Paul. And we learned many things about the church in Corinth. The, the church was divided. Those cliques and factions. There's a lot of challenges there. They followed certain personalities. We call them personality cults. I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. They're captured by the wisdom of the world. Arrogance flowed through the church as they said, hey, I have this spiritual gift. That's a little bit higher than your spiritual gift. Suing one another. So this, is a, this, this was a, a church that had struggles like any other church. Immorality was condoned. Men were divorcing their wives, sending them away. The Lord's table, communion, was used as a way to kind of highlight certain people's wealth. And they challenged leadership. It was a very difficult church that Paul dealt with. And they, ultimately, they lacked love. They lacked love for one another. However, Paul loved the church. I mean, he gave the Corinthian church everything he got. Everything he had, he poured into this church. He calls them my beloved. He m- made multiple trips to Corinth, perhaps three times. He authored perhaps up to four letters to the, to the ch- uh, church in Corinth. He sent the best. Along with himself, he, t- he sent Timothy. He sent Apollos. He, sent, he gave him everything he had. And Paul, at this point now, ex- expects some return on his investment. Right? Paul now, after 15 plus chapters, gives a final exhortation. Final exhortation for the church to be like Christ. To be Christ-like. And Paul makes it very clear here now. Like he holds no punches back now. This, you're going to see how clear Paul is as he finishes off this letter to send the Corinthians on a high note. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. 1 Corinthians 16 is what we'll be out of. And so we'll be out of 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 24. We're going to, by God's grace, wrap up this wonderful book. And this has been an amazing book for me, personally, super edifying. But uh, please rise as we read 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 24 together. If you're a guest, we rise because we honor God's word. This is the source of truth that we rely on, as Pastor Dave talked about earlier in his video. We do this as an act of worship. Whether we read the scriptures as an act of worship, now we preach or hear the word of God preach as an act of worship. It's all worship. So let's read 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 13 on down. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love, Paul says. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men, such men, 
The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila, Prissa greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Corinthians. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his faithfulness. Mostly thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to know him through the preaching of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. We have a destination today, and just like as we go on any road trip, we'll get on the on-ramp of the, of the freeway. And along the freeway, we'll have some signs to some exits. And then you pretty much know when we're going to exit, when you say, hey, kids, look out for this exit. This is when we're going to exit. And so I'm going to give you some of the uh, road maps along the way so that you can follow along. Three points we're going to make today. Paul exhorted to be, number one, mature. He called the Corinthians to be mature. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, we'll go over this at length later on. Number two, Paul exhorted to be imitators. Imitators. And thirdly, the final exit point is Paul exhorted the Corinthian church to be united. United. Okay? Colossians 1.28 is perhaps my uh, verse that guides me in our philosophy of ministry. He says, we proclaim him, we preach Christ Right? Admonish every man, teaching every man with all wisdom to present every man complete or mature in Christ. This was Paul's goal. And this is really any preacher or pastor's goal to present every Christian that they get to take care of mature in Christ. So point number one is this. Exhortation to be mature. Fill in the blank, mature. Verse 13 and 14 is what will cover this point, but The Corinthians, let's just review a little bit more about the Corinthians. The Corinthians were sleepy Christians. Sleepy Christians. They acted like they were on a Mediterranean cruise ship. All right? They were passionate about pursuing pleasures of the world. They were seduced by the world's false promises. The Corinthians were engorged because they ate at the buffet of worldly wisdom. They were drunk as they drank the wine of their selves. They were narcissistic. They tried, to continue, they tried to elevate themselves continually. So they floated on with life in a lazy stupor. They forget. They forgot that Christ is returning. They were asleep, just like many professing Christians in our nation. They're more interested in investing in temporary things. Perhaps Christians today are consumed with making money. Perhaps Christians today are are more interested in securing comfort and ease. Perhaps we're more intoxicated with the entertainment of the world. This is perhaps one of the most narcissistic times in our culture and perhaps we spend more time on social media than on the in the word. Does that describe who you are? Perhaps it may or may not. Perhaps parts of this may be struggles that we all have, and you can identify with these things. 
Well, Paul now was loading up the cannons. He's getting ready to fire off five imperatives to the Corinthians. In essence, Paul was saying, we're at war. Wake up, Corinthians. We're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. And you got to man your battle stations. So Paul starts off with these five imperatives and starts blasting and to get the attention of the Corinthians. The first point that he makes is be on the alert. Be on the alert. Wake up. Be watchful. Be on guard. Just like a soldier on the front lines. Wake up. Wake up, Corinthians. Be on the alert for what, Paul? Well, just earlier, context helps you helps us understand what the Scripture is talking about. In, in chapter 15, Paul just got done detailing to us that Christ is returning. Be on the alert, knowing that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the judge of all, is returning. Be on the alert for like, wake up. Don't act like he's not coming back. So Paul is exhorting the church, wake up, the days are evil. And not only is he coming back, the Lord has said the days are going to get more and more darker as, as, he, as the time approaches for his return. Wake up, Corinthians. Stand your post. And since the days are evil, are evil, the Bible says Satan, the devil, prowls around like a what? Roaring what? A lion looking to devour somebody. Paul also warns about wolves who are going to be in the church. False teachers are going to be amongst us in the church. Acts 20, 31. But also, Paul talks about our war is not against flesh and blood, 2 Corinthians 10. But our war is against fortresses of logismas, fortresses of lies, lies built up against the knowledge of God. This is what we're at war against. It's a truth war. And we need to be alert. Wake up, Corinthians. Paul's telling us to wake up. And so he fires off this first cannonball that says, be alert. Be alert. One of the things that we've talked about is this stand firm in the faith. And, and this is kind of, this is the next canon that Paul shoots off. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. What is the faith? I, I believe it's all, in essence, compiled in the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15 Three and four says, for I delivered to you as a first importance. This is the most important piece of information of our faith. What I also received that Christ, Jesus Christ, died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the most important part of our faith. That's what Paul says, as, as of first importance. Friends, if you're here now as a, as a guest of somebody and perhaps You've been invited by one of your friends here and you're sitting next to him or her and you know you're not a Christian. What we hope in is something called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news? Well, the good news says this. Jesus Christ, God himself, took on human flesh and took on the punishment that all people deserve because we've all offended God. Have you thought a wrong thing before? Have you been spoken an unkind word to somebody before? Perhaps you've done something so horrific that you think there's no way God or anyone in this room would be able to forgive me. But perhaps you're sitting there right now thinking that. 
Well, the good news is so great that even if you've done that, whatever it is, the death and resurrection of Christ is enough to forgive you. Do you believe this? The friend that invited you does. That's why he or she is here. This is why he or she invited you to hear the good news. Church family, we know that the the faith is more than about the gospel. That is the most important part about the faith that we believe in. But we need to understand all of truth to help us. As Pastor Dave talked about in his video, how do we stand firm in the faith? By understanding what we believe in. This is a critical thing that we understand this. Stand firm, stakeo. That means you're firmly planted. I know what I believe in. I've studied it. I've been taught it. I see it in the scriptures. You notice Paul says, according to the scriptures. We look to the Bible, the scriptures, to understand who we are and what we are in Christ. I know what I believe in. This is my post. I'm never going to abandon it because I know firmly that what I believe in and more importantly, who I believe in. The reason why we study the scriptures is not just to learn information, friends, right? It's to know Christ. It's to know God himself. This is exactly why we study the word. We will not retreat. Although we're alert and we know the opposition is coming and is here already, we won't retreat from this truth. We're not backing down from who Christ Jesus is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. John MacArthur writes, if we are to be firm in the faith, we must be well taught in the word, looking at everything and judging everything by God's truth and standard. Guess, I hope you could feel it, we're singing things about the Bible talks about. Guess we have people reading, men and women reading the Bible. You have someone preaching, this time it happens to be me, the Bible. And at the end of the service, we'll be praying things about the Bible and taking communion because the Lord tells us in the Bible to take communion. The Bible is a source of truth. The Bible is our authority. Though if you call Jesus your Lord, this is how you obey him, by studying and obeying what he says in the Bible, God's holy word. And we have a commitment at Evergreen Church. This is Evergreen Church to minister the Bible. And we have a commitment to expositional preaching. What does that mean? That means that we go verse by verse and try to do our best to explain what the Word of God means and what it says and how it applies to our life. We do sequential exposition generally, meaning we go verse and chapter by chapter. All right, This is how we've marched down Corinthians for uh, roughly a year, and here we are. We also ha- are committed to biblical education. As Pastor Marco talked about how Pastor Victor, Pastor Paul Moy, they're going to take the youth and the children through the gospel project. That's a three-year curriculum to understand, have a broad view of what the entire Bible is about. Isn't that amazing? In three years' time, you have an idea, a strong idea of what the whole scripture is about. It's amazing. This is why Pastor Terry G. has been tasked to oversee equipping and to get adult Christian education at a whole different level that our church has never understood before. Our hope is that every single adult who considers Evergreen Church their home will participate in ACE. 
the church school hour. We cleared the decks at that 9 to 10 hour. There's nothing else. That's what we offer. This is what we want to go to. We have even coffee for you to enjoy in that class. We're trying to undergird everything and push everything to that one hour so that every man, every woman who have the word of Christ richly dwelling in them. It's a big emphasis. If you're signed up, bring a friend, tell a friend. Let's all be part of this process here. It's incredible. I'm thankful for Pastor Terry, Pastor Dave, Keith, Pastor Dan teaching these classes. It's going to be an incredible time. What a great opportunity this is going to be for all of us. Okay? Now, this is the key. Why do, are we putting so much emphasis in the Word of God? This is important now. This is important. When our foundation is rock solid, when we know who we believe in, what we believe in, this leads to the third shot that Paul shoots out. Act like men. Andrusumai. This means act manly. How do men act in this time? It was a pretty clear statement. Men, by implication, act courageously. That's how men act. Courageously. So Paul is making an appeal to the Corinthian church to act courageously. And sisters, there's been incredible sisters in the Bible that have been showed incredible courage. Ruth, Rahab, Esther, Deborah, Mary and Martha in the New Testament. These just are some, just to name a few. So all Christians are called to be courageous. However, however, brothers, listen to me now. Men are called to lead, to set the tempo, set the tone in our homes, set the tone in our churches, set the tone in our communities. We need to act like men, the Bible says. In no unclear terms, if you want to translate it differently, act manly. That's another way of saying this. Act courageously. I told you last week how we went on a trip, a father and son trip uh, to Ohio, Troy and I, our oldest son, and it was a father and son trip, and 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 was the theme verse of our, of our trip. Because this describes manliness. This is what describes what it means to be a man. How to be courageous. Sisters, we got an incredible role now to help build up our men. This is an invaluable role for our sisters to make your men believe that they could do this. Encourage them. Come alongside them. Help them understand how critical this is. Pray for godly men to come alongside your man. If you're a single woman and you have desire to be married, someday, pray for this man that he will be strong and courageous. This is the, young ladies, this is the type of person that you're looking for. This is what the Bible says what a man looks like. He's courageous. He's courageous. And then the fourth cannonball that's fired off is Paul says, be strong. Be strong. That means be strengthened or be empowered. And this, this fourth cannonball is really t- closely related to being courageous. And so Paul uses this formula. Do, do, do you recognize it? He says, basically, he's telling the Corinthians, be strong and what? Courageous. Does that sound familiar? Pastor Dave just read 
from Joshua 1, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. In essence, Paul is basically employing the Old Testament charge for mature manliness. Let me just go through these. I don't expect you to write this down, but just kind of feel the emphasis throughout the Old Testament or the First Testament, as my, one of my uh, professors talks about. He likes to call it the First Testament. Deuteronomy 31, Moses charges Joshua as he takes over to be the new commander-in-chief of Israel. Be strong and courageous. First Kings 2, King David tells his son, as David's about to die, and says, King Solomon or Solomon, you're going to be the king. Be strong and courageous. Second Samuel 10, the, king, the, the general of the Israelite army tells the army, as the Arameans and Ammonites are attacking, be strong and courageous, soldiers. Second Chronicles 32, King Hezekiah t- tells the army, charges the army as the Assyrians are about to attack, be strong and courageous. Haggai 2, the prophet Haggai tells Rubul and the priests, be strong and courageous as you rebuild the temple. I mean, these are massive endeavors that men of God and women of God are called to do. Be strong and courageous. That's the charge. And Paul simply takes it from the Old Testament and applies it to the Corinthians in the first century. Courage is required to stand tall in the face of danger and opposition. Doesn't mean you're going to have some fears or some concerns now. Doesn't mean you're going to be like, ah, I don't know how this is going to work out. But courage is meaning I believe what I believe so much that I'm going to stand here no matter what. These days require strength. Require strength. You need strength. You need power to advance against the enemy. To keep pushing the yard markers down the field. To advance the trenches, to advance, keep going forward against opposition. Strength and courage. Strength and courage. I'm going to read one verse here from Joshua. As Pastor Dave read here, thank you for reading that earlier. Joshua chapter 1, Old Testament, sixth book of the Bible. As Joshua is entrusted to go and lead the Israelites into the promised land, let me just read this. Be strong and courageous, verse 6. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, verse 7. And let's land on verse 8. That's uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. Joshua, have I not commanded you? This is God directly speaking to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? Why, Joshua? Because you are, have military experience? Because Moses is your friend? No. This is the whole key here. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the key. This is what Jesus Christ has promised in the Great Commission. Lo, I am with you to the end of age. This is what God has promised. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is what Jesus promises in John 10. No one could snatch you out of my hands. No one. Listen up now. No one could snatch you out of Jesus' hand if you are in Christ. Nobody. He will not fumble you. Bible says that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that the God of angel armies is always by your side? Do you actually believe this? If you do, 
God will produce strength and courage in you. This is not something I have to muster up. I got to be strong and courageous. I got to be strong. No, the more you know God's promises, the more you know God's word, the more you understand who he is and you know him more, God produces strength and courage in you. This is how this works. In essence, you're strong and courageous because you know you have a big God and the problems are small. If you don't know God very well, you got a small God and the problems seem very big. How can you be strong and courageous in that scenario? But let, Paul's not finished. Here's the final cannonball, the fifth cannonball. As his call to maturity is, is blasted off into the Corinthians. Let's read verse 14 together, 1 Corinthians 16. Back to Corinthians. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. We know this, as we learned in Corinthians, that without love, I'm nothing. Love is the greatest of these. That's what Paul says. The Corinthians lacked love for one another. Being strong and courageous might have resonated with these guys. But they lacked love. The driving force of being strong and courageous is agape love. The sacrificial love of the will. The highest form of love where you're willing to do things for others. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for others. Doesn't that describe what a good soldier is? When he's willing to die for his comrades and for his nation, for his town and hometown that he grew up in? You can see what Paul's doing here. In other words, Paul is saying, be like Christ. Be Christ-like. Jesus is the lion and the what? The lamb. Jesus is strong and courageous and loving and tender. Be alert. Always motivate to protect those who we love. Stand firm in the faith. Always speaking the truth, gospel truth in love. Right? Act like men. Be manly, courageous, and compassionate. Be strong, serving to advance the love of Christ. Paul is saying, look, brothers and sisters, be mature. I poured into you. This is what you're looking to look like. This is the type of fruit you want to be like. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and let all you do be done in love. That's what Paul's looking for. That's Christian maturity, brothers and sisters, what Paul describes here. Now, it's interesting. I've never served military combat. We've had brothers and, uh, who are, uh, who've served courageously, sacrificially our nation. I don't know what that's like. I mean, you know, my life has been about athletics. And I was always told, if you want to be a good player, hang out with the good players. Right? Look for somebody that's a good player and hang out with them. Watch them. Study them. Read about them. How do they prepare? What do they think about? How do they talk? Role models. I was taught to have role models. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Obviously, we're not trying to be Paul. We're trying to be like Christ, but, like Christ, but we have earthly examples 
to give us an image, a vision, what it looks like. So point number two, Paul gives an exhortation to be imitators. 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 I'm going to read verse 15 and 16 here, okay? Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work, works and labors. Now I urge you, exhort you, Corinthian church, Paul says, Stephanus, he goes, you know the household of Stephanus. Stephanus was a known person and his whole household was known in Corinth. And keep in mind, this letter is to be read publicly into the Corinthian church, with the, to the Corinthian church. That means, friends, that they're going to be, Paul knows I'm going to be putting a spotlight on Stephanus and his household. But Paul knew Stephanus well. Paul watched his life. Paul watched his maturity. Paul knew he could handle this. Paul understood he could handle this. So Paul, what he does is this. All right, Corinthians, I have a role model for you to look at, to emulate, to imitate. I have a role model for you from within. That's fine that I've served as a role model, Paul says. That's fine that you see Apollos as a role model, but we're not with you all the time. I'm going to give you a role model that's living with you, who you know, who you've seen perhaps grow up. I'm going to give it to you from the grassroots of Corinth. In essence, Paul calls the household of Stephanus the first fruits of Achaia. What does that mean? That means that they were one of the early converts of, in southern Greece. That's what that means. But also first fruits now carries a deeper meaning than first converts or early converts. First fruits carries the meaning that this is a prototype of more things to come. This is a sampling of greater harvest to come. This is just a sample. This is the early harvest to see, okay, this is the type of harvest we can expect during harvest time. This is just a sample. So in essence, we're called to imitate these first fruits. We're called to imitate these first fruits. And how do you distinguish these type of people? Well, look what it says. And at the end of verse 15, that they would have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. This is the distinguishing mark of someone who should be a good role model in the church. Are they devoted to service and serving the saints in the church? That means they gave themselves over. John MacArthur describes this word devoted, and the original word in the Greek is tasso. And he says that it's rooted in the, with the meaning of being addicted. They are addicted to ministry. They loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. They're absolutely connected to this. And they were committed to their local church. They could have even, Stephanus could have been an elder perhaps at Corinth. We don't know this for sure. But they were serving and, and being devoted. And as I describe Stephanus, as you're sitting there right now, church family, does anybody come to mind right now? I know we have a lot of great servants at Evergreen. We've had for many years, many decades. Who comes to mind right now? Who do you see actively serving the brotherhood and sisterhood at Evergreen? Who has ministered to you personally? Who's walked alongside you during a hard time? Who's taking the time to sit with you and teach you the scriptures? 
Who has shown you some kind of kindness or extra hospitality to come to their home? To, to their home? Who are mature role models that you know of within the church? There are there. There are here. They are here. Stephanus was one in Corinth, but who are the Stephanuses in Evergreen? These are role models that you like to imitate. All right, who comes to mind? We got older mothers meeting with younger mothers. That's beautiful. We got men meeting with men. So that we, we're blessed with a lot of great people here. We, we really are. But I want to introduce you, if you don't know them already, probably, some of you may will probably know them already, but uh, in 2016, this family came up to the Northwest for about three months. John and Sonia, the Horries, they came up and drove in their minivan and drove on up and fought through the grapevine. And there was a, for them, it was like a snowstorm, but they, you know, they had to fight their way down the hill and make it alive. And all of a sudden, they blasted up to five. This was the wintertime at the top of 2016, I think. And we got to know them. I didn't know them very well. I knew of them. Pastor John or John has preached at my old church at Pacific Heritage one time. Like that's kind of how I knew him, but I didn't know him. And, but we got to know them. We spent a lot of time. My wife is very social, and, and, and oftentimes my friends are usually my wife's friends, and I become close to them and get to watch their lives. And I saw firsthand. I saw firsthand how John and Sonia partner well together how they're discipling their family, how they're teaching them about the word and to prayer, how John provided leadership, how Sonia complimented him so well. She definitely had some strong thoughts and ideas and they worked well together, but they're mutually submitted to each other. And I mean, they're honest too. They'll be the first ones to tell you, you know, we don't have a perfect marriage or perfect family. That's, that's not what I'm saying. And I also believe, just like Stephan I believe they can handle this. That's why we're talking about it so publicly just like Stephanus was a very public example. But also I saw firsthand how they served the church. Brother John is a, equips and encourages pastors here and in, around the area as well and around the world perhaps. He serves as a board member. I've seen Sonia encourage many women. As soon as Sonia opened up their home to show incredible hospitality to myself and to other families, to encourage people to pray for other people. But also know this, more is caught than taught. What do I mean by that? I could see that their lives are submitted to knowing God's word and to obeying it in all areas of their lives. Not perfectly, but genuinely. They really look to do this. And I think whether it's their children, whether it's people that get to know them, you can feel that. More is caught than taught. And so the reason why I point them out is this, to encourage the church. There are Stephanuses around our church. Look for these examples. Get to know people. And let me read verse 16 here, 1 Corinthians 16, 16. That you also be in subjection to such men. Subject yourselves to these men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Everyone, not just Stephanus' household, but everyone who is involved with the work of the Lord and is laboring. This word labor means engaged in hard work, exhausted, perhaps even taking a beating, because ministry can be hard. 
you will take a beating if you are going to be deep into ministry with other saints. It's going to happen. It's going to be hard. Let me read you a quote by uh, the Michael Jordan of women's soccer, Mia Hamm. All right? he, she gives this quote about her coach named Anson Dorrance. And she writes, Anson Dorrance left me a short, encouraging note. The vision of a champion is someone who's bent over, bent over, drenched in sweat at the point of exhaustion when nobody else is watching. This is the type of example that you're looking for. Do you know people that are grinding and laboring in the work of the gospel, whether it's public or private? It doesn't matter. That's the type of person that you're looking to emulate, to imitate, to copy. Because it's not a show, it's real. Can you look for Stephanuses in your life? It says to be in subjection to such men. In this word, subjection, John MacArthur gives even more uh, insight into this. This is a compound word, hypotasso. Remember that word, tasso, to be addicted? Hypo means hyper, hyper addicted to these type of people. That means you want to be around them constantly. You want to learn from them. You can't get enough of them. You want to become like them. Why is it like that? Why should we be hyper addicted to these type of examples, men and women in our church? Why? Because genuine examples command respect. The best leadership is example itself. When you live it out, you can't help but go, wow, okay, you're the real thing. I want to be like that. I want to become more like that. I can't get enough. So much respect. That's what Paul's talking about here. Look for examples that are living it out genuinely so that they can be a role model for you. Examples that you come under and their leadership. You even come under their leadership. Let me read Hebrews thirteen seven here. Remember those, Hebrews 13, 7, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Consider how they live. And you know what the author of Hebrews says? Comma, imitate their faith. We're called to imitate mature examples in the church. And Paul goes on in verse 17 to describe how, how Stephanus Fortunatus and Achaicus came and ministered to him and they traveled to Ephesus and they refreshed his spirits. And look what he says at the end, verse 18 here out of Corinthians 16. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, what should we do? Acknowledge such men. My encouragement to you, church family, is this. If you know a Stephanus in your life, particularly here at Evergreen, let him know. Thank you. Brother, thank you, sister, for being an example for me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you. I acknowledge this. You sacrificed to serve me. Encourage them in this way. Acknowledge such men. Let them know, but also, not only them, let me know. I'm one, I want to know who has been serving in this way. I want to know. Please let me know. Email me. Grab me. Just let me know. This would be helpful for me. So Paul calls on for maturity, but Paul calls us to imitate role models within the church. Now, because the more mature the community gets, brothers and sisters, the more unified we're going to be. 
And this is what was the issue in Corinth. They were fragmented. They had all kinds of divisions. Paul was calling on the church to be unified. Unified. And this brings us to our final point. He, he exhortation to be united. Paul exhorted for the church to be united. Fill in the blank here. Let me read how united they're called to be. Verse 19. The church of Asia greet you. This is Asia Minor. Corinth is in Europe and southern Greece. Uh, uh, Christians in the churches in a different continent are greeting you. Aquila and Prissa greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in the house. Prissa and uh, Aquila, who are they? They're known people in Corinth. They used to live in Corinth. They relocated to Ephesus. And they're saying, hey, they greet you. Verse 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, do we, how do we handle that, pastor? Are we supposed to kiss each other? No. This is a cultural thing. That showed greetings, that showed respect, that showed affection in that time. Whether it's a handshake, a fist bump, a chest bump, a hug, a bow even, whatever it is, greet one another, the Bible says. All right, let's greet one another. And then finally in verse 21, Paul the greeting is in my own hands. He wrote the rest of this letter in his own hand. Scholars believe he had a secretary to, to write as he dictated the words. Someone else wrote it. But this portion he writes with his own hands. Now, how is that possible for Christians in Europe and Asia, Asia Minor? Christians are young and old, men and women, rich and poor, who may never even met each other to have this type of close affection for one another when it's real, a genuine affection. How is that even possible? How's that possible? This is the key now. As we land this ship here, how is it possible to be genuinely united? Genuine unity is rooted in sharing common convictions. Genuine unity is rooted in sharing common convictions. We believe the same things. We love the same things. And Paul goes through this right now. Let me look at verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Paul's not messing around here. I told you he's not holding back any punches. The love for Christ is the most distinguishing mark of a Christian, a true Christian. If you do not have love for Christ, you're not a Christian. Look what uh, Leon Morris, a scholar, writes. If anyone's heart is not aflame with love for the Lord, the root of the matter is not in him. He is a traitor to the cause of, of right. Paul cannot contemplate such a person calmly. He, Paul knew that there are false believers in the Corinthian church who are causing problems. And Paul lovingly, I believe, lovingly calls them out and says, you know who you are. God knows who you are. You need to repent and give your life to Christ. They looked like Christians, talked like Christians, felt like Christians, hung out with Christians. No love for Christ. Not a Christian. Paul's giving him a chance to repent and say, look, I know you've been hanging out in the church a long time. Perhaps I even know you're causing problems. You need to repent and give your life to Christ. Other thing, other common convictions. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be cursed. Maranatha. Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus. True Christians want Jesus Christ to come back. You're praying for Jesus Christ to come back. Non-believers don't want Jesus Christ to come back because their world, their, their plans are thwarted at that point. They know this. True Christians want Jesus Christ. Please come back. 
People in Afghanistan are suffering. Lord, please come back. Please, we want to be with you. I want to be with you, Lord Jesus. Please come back. This is the cry of a Christian, and all of us can relate to that. I love Christ. I want Christ to come back. You too, while we're brothers and sisters. Look at this, the third common conviction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. We've all, Christians have experienced the grace of Christ, meaning we all know none of us deserve heaven. Not one of us deserve heaven. However, we've experienced unmerited favor. Do you think this? Do you think about this? I don't, I don't deserve heaven, yet I'm getting heaven. Genuine believers understand this. And then finally, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus the final common conviction is that we have a common affection for Christ's people. You just love other Christians. You may, not, you may just met them on the mission field. You may, you, you may be off in college and you, met, you run into a Christian. Wow, there's a natural uh, connection there. You might be in Japan just on vacation. You meet a Christian and go, wow, that's great. I'm a Christian too. You may be at the work site and in, in a very pagan environment, you see a Christian and somehow you start to become friends because you're a Christian. We just have a common affection for one another. And right now, what a, this is the first Sunday of the month, and we practice communion. And we come to the Lord's table on level ground. And I just want to talk about this. We come united in Christ at the Lord's table. The Lord's table represents the life that we have in Christ through the blood of Christ. The Lord's table is a reminder how Christ is in us and how we are in Christ. The Lord's table is a reminder how we are also united to one another, the body of Christ. The Lord's table reminds us of his commitment, Christ's commitment to us, Christians. And the Lord's table is also a reminder of our commitment to him. I will follow you, Lord Jesus, because you love me and I love you. And also the Lord's table is a reminder of our commitment to one another. The Lord's table is a special reminder every month to reaffirm our love for Christ and for one another. So as you see, as Paul closes out this, this incredible book, He's really calling on Christ-likeness because look how he finishes off. In Christ Jesus, amen, because we're all in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is our identity. Jesus Christ is our love. Jesus Christ is the one we want to become like. Jesus Christ is the one who we obey. Jesus Christ is our life, bottom line. And that's why we come to the Lord's table united because we believe the same things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice that he paid for us over 2,000 years ago. Lord, I pray that we will respond to your word. I pray, Lord, that we would become more Christ-like. I pray, Lord, that we will look for examples within the body of evergreen. Examples worth imitating. Lord, I pray that we will commit to learning more about the convictions that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we will commit to studying your word and to obeying your word. 
Father, I have a special prayer, Lord. I pray the men will respond to this call to act like men, to be strong, knowing who we stand on. That's you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, for incredible leaders to be raised up here who will love well. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. Please prepare us to take communion in a worthy manner. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.